Hey, take your Bible this morning and open it to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, last week, if you're visiting, we celebrated the fifth anniversary of Grace Church of the Valley, and I took a little excursion from 1 John, which we've been expositing through, to talk about uh, how the church functions out of Ephesians 4. So I thought I would do something for the life of our church philosophically in terms of ministry, both last week and then this week. And then next week, I'm actually in Seattle speaking at a men's conference, and our preacher is here, Nigel. Would you just raise your hand? That is Nigel Shaler, a longtime friend. He is next to his wife, Serena. Nigel will be opening the Word of God to us next Sunday in Corinthians on the local church. So we'll put these three weeks together. So good to see you guys. They're longtime friends from the country of New Zealand. So you Kiwi farmers, you can talk to him afterward. And, uh, but you will, you will be thrilled to hear Nigel open the Word of God. But that's what we're doing. We're just taking this short excursion out of 1 John um, on the local church. And I've been trying to zero in on your responsibility. Maybe that doesn't sound too fair, uh, but too much, I think, comes back to who elders are and pastors. And though I think that's very important, I would never overplay my role at the expense of your role because we're all part of the body of Christ, right? In fact, Corinthians says that the members we deem less honor upon, God bestows more abundant honor. And you remember the hand can't say to the the foot, is that how it goes, that I have no need of you. No, the members that we deem less honorable, God bestows more abundant honor. So my focus is really, really on you. Now, we begin last week in Ephesians talking about the gifts that he gives to the local church. When he ascended, it says in Ephesians 4, 7, he gave gifts to men. And not only did he give gifts to all who were in the body of Christ, spiritual gifts, God-given supernatural endowment ability to minister to each other. So, I, you know, even for me to say that would probably be another series. Each of you here who are in Christ, who've come to a relationship with Christ, at that moment when he saved you, at that moment when he redeemed you, in that moment when he regenerated you and breathed spiritual life into you, he not only saved you, if you will, and gave you salvation as a wonderful gift, he at that moment placed you into the body of Christ, into the family of God, but at the same time, he gave you a spiritual gift to be used in serving one another. And so we talked about gifts both to the church, and then we noted in Ephesians that he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as pastors and teachers for this purpose, to equip the saints for ministry. And so we noted there that that key word equip was to restore the saints or to make complete or to beautify, if you will, the saints so that they could be built up so that they can do the work of service. And that's really where we left off. Each of us have a responsibility. I have one, and that's to equip the saints. That's what elders do. They live the truth, they model the truth according to the character qualities that we see, and then they teach the truth and preach the truth. And ultimately, our task is to equip you so that the saints are doing the work of ministry. 
Now that led me last week into this thought. Look just for a moment in Galatians 6. Look over there. Because I I said it was the job and the role of the pastors and the teachers, it is, to equip the saints. But then we noted, and this kind of just led my thought to this week, in Galatians 6.1, you'll note that it says there, and you've seen this before, after that whole chapter on not being led by the flesh but by the Spirit, he says, Brothers, 6.1, if any is caught in any transgression... You who are spiritual, and then here's the word, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That thought there, that word for restore in the ESV is the same word, the derivative of it, for the word equipping. So when you think of equipping, of mending, remember we talked about a broken bone, or we said that that was the word in Mark chapter 4, 19, when the apostles were mending their nets. That's the word equipping. In other words, you're taking something that is fragmented, if you will, broken, and you're putting it back together. You're making something complete. So here you'll note, he says, if you're caught in a transgression, You who are spiritual, and I just note to you, it doesn't say you who are elders, you who are deacons, you who are the spiritual leaders. No, it just says here, you who are spiritual, obviously being led by the Spirit, not by the flesh in the previous chapter, you restore them and you do so in a spirit of gentleness. And if you backed up before that, of course it's not the leaders, because what's the first word in Galatians 6.1? It says there, brothers, brothers. And so this aspect of restoring saints certainly begins with the teaching and preaching ministry of the elders, but it extends into the life of our church if you're spiritual. One other verse, look over at 2 Corinthians. Just back up one sec. 2 Corinthians, this led me to my chapter that we'll look at in Thessalonians, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, he's kind of given us final warnings there, and he's being, he's being pretty strong. I mean, Paul says here in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, this is the third time I'm coming to you, and every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. I warn those who have sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. And so you can see he's really pouring his heart out to these Corinthians. But if you glance down chapter 13, all the way to verse 11, when he says, finally, brothers rejoice. And then he says this, aim for restoration. There's our word for equipping. Aim for restoration. In other words, there were things in this body that needed to be restored. Like a net that is frayed and open. You can't catch fish, so they mend the nets. Like a doctor who would take a bone that is broken and put that bone back together and have it be restored or equipped. He says here, aim for restoration. But the word that I'm just locking on is he doesn't say, finally, elders rejoice aim for restoration. No, he says, finally, brothers rejoice. And so there is a tremendous responsibility on us in the body of Christ. 
And so the saints then, according to Ephesians, are equipped with a view to carry out the work of service. Now, the question that I want to ask as we turn back, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians even now, that the question that I'd like to ask you is how do you restore one caught in a trespass? Or how do you even respond to difficult people? What is your responsibility to others in the body of Christ to talk to them and to counsel? How do we mutually, if you will, edify one another? And I'm really asking, what is your responsibility in this body, if you're visiting, in the body that you're part of, how do you actually confront someone in sin? How do you actually know if they are in sin? On the other hand, how do you actually help someone or encourage someone in a trial? How might you come alongside someone who is burdened? How do you handle these various situations and various relationships? How are we to engage one another in the body of Christ? What do you do with the man that I talked to this week who lost his wife at 42 years of age? I mean, how do you respond to that? that? He's still grieving the loss of his spouse. What do you do with the man, my friend who called me last week from another state and said a woman in his church showed up on his doorstep because her husband again, had roughed her up. How do you respond to that one? I mean, I know in the future, we're going to start a posse here at Grace Church of the Valley. So um, we're going to just take care of that ourselves. I'm just going to get a few guys that, you know what? I don't even really know if I'm joking that much. Sometimes when I hear that stuff, when I hear that stuff, I just say, I'm going to go take four guys. We'll go talk to that guy. Okay. But how do you, how do you respond to that guy? What do you do? What do you think, brother? I'm bringing you, okay? You bring your marine son, okay? And uh, he'll come with us too. But what do you do in that situation? Um, how do you respond? What do you do with another guy a few years back? He said, Pastor, I'm just having these panic attacks. Tell me about it. He said, that's what he told me. He said, man, ever since you started to preach on the book of Daniel and the end times, and the Antichrist, I'm like, I'm just, ah, you know, was it my preaching that did that, you know, and uh, he, he says, I just get in a room, and I just start breathing heavy, now, I'm not gonna sit there and say, I don't believe you, he's again, he starts breathing, and he, he says, I have to almost go get on a counter, and put my hand down there, and just rest myself, and sometimes I've even had to feel like I've had to physically sit down, he's having what some would call a panic attack, I mean, what do you do when you have situations like this with different people, whether it's a sin issue, whether it's somebody who needs to be encouraged? How do you respond? And you know, the truth is, um, you can call me, you can call us, okay, the leaders, but you know what? I really believe God's put the Spirit in you. And if our body is going to be what it needs to be, then we're going to have to employ the teaching of Scripture when we meet various people at various places in various conditions. I mean, th- there has to be a sense amongst us at GCV that we become doctors of the soul. 
I mean, if you went to a doctor and you said, here's my problem, doctor, and, he get, and some of you, I've already been with you, you've got bad counsel from a doctor. When he, when he, you, you know, I'll, I'll listen to some, I'll go, wow, why didn't he diagnose that earlier? I mean, you almost expect a doctor to be a doctor of the body who knows it and would give a right diagnosis. But listen, when you're talking about people's souls, you've got to be able to deal with them in a manner that would be biblically that would be biblical and that would give caution where needed, that would give encouragement where needed. I mean, how do you, and really I'm asking, how do you deal with people in your family? How do you deal with your son? How do you deal with your daughter? How do you deal with your grandson? How do you deal with your granddaughter? How do you deal with friends that are part of the greater body of Christ? Now, what I want to do this morning is I walk through this text with you in 1 Thessalonians 5.14. I'm praying that you have someone to talk to. And I think you do. And, and, and you might just, in fact, I want to just pause and pray because I think people need to be encouraged today. I think people need to be admonished today. I think people need to be helped today. And they walk by us all the time and we're not sensitive. So let me just pray and then we're going to dive in. Father, I just give the message to you. This is your body. We're around the greater body of Christ as well. I pray that, Lord, you might use this to challenge us, encourage us, equip us, motivate us, and make this body more of what it needs to be for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Look over to 1 Thessalonians. It's just a couple texts, okay? A couple scriptures. And I want you to zero in there on 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 14. A classic statement there. He says, and we urge you, and you see it again, brothers, admonish the idol. This is from the ESV. You might have NASB where it says admonish the unruly. So it says admonish the idol, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, see that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. There's the scripture. Now, let me just set its context for a moment with you. You can see at the beginning of chapter 5, Paul is in a discussion here on the day of the Lord. And the day of the Lord is the second coming of Christ and all that that involves, that he is coming. In fact, look at 5.1. Concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. And while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief, for you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night and of the darkness. Okay, so you can just see there's the context. Now, when he says the day of the Lord's coming, look down at verse 11. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing, okay? That's the theme this morning. And then you'll note what he does in verse 12 and 13. He gives duties for pastors. Then in 13 through 14, he gives duties to you. In 12, he says, we ask you, brothers, 
to respect those who labor among you and who are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work, be at peace amongst yourselves. And so he gives you a word to respect and to esteem. And and I could only just add a personal word that I've only been here four months and I feel the weight of that verse, 100% of your love back to me. I just really genuinely want you to know that Patty and I are just blown away to be here. We counted a great privilege to shepherd here, a great privilege to minister uh, uh, alongside of you. And whatever this scripture commends you to do, I want to just say thank you from the bottom of my heart. You have loved my family. You have welcomed my family. You have taken care of my family. You have made this one a place of joy. In fact, even my own family and the Kramers this week are just blown away about all the people who are helping even towards this family event for us. And I just want to say thank you from the bottom of our heart for living out 12 and 13. And I want you to know you've made my service one of joy here. And I want to thank the elders for that as well. But, you, you know, when it says you esteem them highly in their work, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm actually speechless. And I'm not, I'm really genuinely mean that. I've never been welcomed like this ever before. And I just want to say thank you. Okay? That's your role to all of the pastors And then you'll note, he says this to you, and we just read the scripture, and we urge you, brothers, and then here's your responsibility, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all men. Okay, now, it's obviously, when you look, obvious, when you look at this scripture, verse 14 is addressed, we urge you, brothers, okay, certainly leaders have to do this, but this is a message for all. This is not directed to elders. It is not directed towards uh, staff. It is not directed per se towards deacons, though we fit into that category. It is directed, if you will, for the brethren. Now, in this passage, we are to employ the correct counsel to those whom we interact with. In fact, you can greatly frustrate someone if you admonish them when they actually need encouragement and help. So what is to be done here? And what Paul does is he gives three appropriate responses to dealing with people in the body of Christ, okay? Three different responses for dealing with people in the body of Christ. And I'd ask you, who is it that the Spirit of God is laid on your heart this day? Who is it that you need to minister to, okay? Now, in each of these responses, in dealing with people, it's pretty simple. There's a condition described, okay? And then there's a command to be put into practice. There's a condition of the person. Then there's a command for the condition that the person is in. You become a doctor of the souls, and, okay, in this way. The first, the first condition, okay, or the first response here with people in the body of Christ. Look at it. It says, we urge you, brethren. It says, admonish the idol. Admonish the idol. Now, the condition described here is idle. That's an okay word. I sometimes like the NESB. If I said the word idle, it just seems somewhat passive. And I suppose it is people actually being, in our language, idle. 
But the NASB kind of carries the weight of the word. You've got some people whom you're in contact with that are idle, okay? Or namely, they're unruly. The thought here is they're disorderly. In fact, the word carries the idea that they're rebellious. So what this word, when you look into the etymology of the word, idle was a military word which literally meant to be out of step. It meant to be out of rank. If you're walking in rank and you're walking in file, you've got someone in the church, metaphorically speaking, who is off, okay? They're not walking in obedience. They're idle. They're out of rank. They're disorderly. They've broke rank is the type of thought. In fact, look over just a couple of pages to the right. 2 Thessalonians 3.6. This is the condition. And, and you can see the, the edge here a little bit. In 3.6, we command you, brothers, it's always the body, right? In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in what? Idleness. He's walking in rebellion and not in accord with the tradition which you have received from us. So you've got some people, maybe even this morning, who are idle, who are irresponsible, the thought would be, or who are disorderly. And it really refers to anybody who's kind of neglecting their daily or even their spiritual duties. They are out of order. In a word, they are sinning. Now, in, in this context, there were some who were neglecting their daily duties and falling, if you will, idle into corrupt disciplines because of their expectation of the coming day of the Lord. Do you remember, some thought the day of the Lord was coming tomorrow, so they stopped working altogether. They stopped plowing, if you will. They stopped and were being disobedient. And Paul said, if a man doesn't work, let him not, what? Eat. Now, you'll note when you find somebody who's out of rank, out of step, there's very clear instruction given to him. Look back in the text in verse 14. He says, you are to what? Here's the command given. To admonish the idol. Okay? Okay, you're to admonish them. You say, what does it mean to admonish them? In other words, you come up and warn them. And you do so with understanding, do so with humility. But the ideal of admonishing someone is to do it with firmness. In fact, that is a classic uh, biblical counseling word there. The word admonish is the Greek word nutheteo. And what the, just the word means is it means to warn them, to advise them. And you're doing it with a amount of strength, certainly with humility, but you're warning them. The ideal is you're exhorting them. You are counseling them to avoid sin. And if it's not just avoiding sin, you are admonishing them to stop sin, okay? In other words, there's people in our midst. It could be your roommate. It could be your son. It could be your daughter. And they need to be admonished. It could be someone in this body. They need to be warned and stirred up to action is the thought. In other words, those in disobedience need to be called to obedience and they need to be instructed. In fact, just glance up two verses earlier in verse 12. It says this, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you 
and who are over you in the Lord and what? Admonish you. So here's leaders, pastors, whatever a pastor or a leader is, he certainly isn't a people pleaser. If you're a people pleaser, find a new ministry. A pastor has got to be one who loves people, but he's, he's over you, verse 12, and they tend to admonish you. They're warning you. They're giving you instruction. But it's interesting. It's not only them. Verse 14, we urge you, brothers, you warn, advise those who are idols, idle. And I'm thinking of Paul. Remember when Paul said in Colossians 128, he says, him we proclaim, he said, warning every man. The thought would be admonishing every man. Do you remember when it says in Colossians 3.16 to let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, teaching and admonishing one another? Listen, we should be doing this all the time. We should just have a ministry of admonishment to one another. And sometimes we're telling and encouraging someone to avoid sin, and sometimes we're actually telling somebody to cease sin. Now, I think what's interesting in the context here is look at verse 13. It says there, esteem them very highly of the leaders in love because of their work. And then it says this, be at peace among yourselves. And I think it's interesting, though we're exhorted to live in peace. Here, the next verse in verse 13, 14 says that we need to admonish the unruly. Okay. In fact, look at one other scripture where they had to discipline somebody Go to 2 Thessalonians. Turn right just a few pages, okay? 2 Thessalonians 3.15. Remember there, um, there was one who, who was actually idle. In fact, I read the verse in verse 6 that you keep aloof, 3.6 of 2, that you keep aloof from any brother who's walking in idleness, okay? But look what it says in verse 15. Do not regard him as an enemy. Do you see this now? But what? Warn him as a brother. Now, you could say admonish him as a brother. It's the same word. So listen, you're going to be ministering to people. I do all the time. Thinking of the man who came to me years ago who was struggling with the sin of homosexuality. Now, you have people that you're talking to all the time. I just bring this one up, okay? I'm not looking how to counsel him, okay? In other words, the scripture tells me I don't need to necessarily encourage this particular brother. I need to warn this brother with humility, right? I need to advise this brother. I need to admonish this brother. This guy was claiming Christ, claiming Christ. He broke rank. He's out of step, okay? And what do you do in that situation? You come alongside someone and you admonish them. In other words, with firmness, with clarity, you tell them either to cease the sin altogether or I'm warning you to avoid the sin altogether. This ought to happen, but that's what we do with people. We have to help people with where they are. If somebody is lying to you, okay, I'm just, let's apply it, okay? It's not okay to lie. That's a sin, right? So you don't come up and say, hey, it'd be kind of really super nice if you would just stop lying. No, when you find somebody who's in a sin like that, you admonish them. If somebody is stealing from their employee, okay, you wouldn't come up to them and say, hey, it'd be really nice if, if you know, you shouldn't steal. No, 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 no. 
You need to come up to someone in sin, nutheteo, advise them, warn them, admonish them. They are idle. They are out of rank. You do so. If someone in our body is drinking, okay, you warn them. You advise them. It's not the time at that point necessarily to put your arm around them when they need to cease from an activity. If you're in your home or you're in your room and you walk in and you see your roommate or family member viewing pornography, you're not to overlook that. You have a responsibility. You have an absolute responsibility in this body to admonish that person. So that's why if the guy was roughing up his wife, pulling her hair, grabbing her by the neck, okay, slapping her with an open hand, you're not going to find me saying, hey, brother, hey, brother, you know what? That, no, I'm going to come to that brother and admonish him, okay? When a student comes up to me from master's college and says, hey, Scott, I, I've got a problem. Well, what is it? He says, well, I, I'm drinking, and I know that's wrong. I said, well, how do you drink in the dorm? He says, I just pour alcohol in my Coke can. And he walks around the dorm and he drinks alcohol. So, so when you get into that kind of situation, we're not looking what to do. The Bible's very clear what to do. The, and, and what's funny that I, when, I, when I sense, even from my years at Masters, most people don't want to say anything to anybody because they don't think it's their responsibility. And I'm telling you, it is your responsibility. It is everyone's responsibility. This is not an exhortation to the elders. This is an exhortation to you. And again, it always needs to be done in a spirit of gentleness. But listen, sometimes some people in some conditions need admonishment. They need a warning. You need to clarify for them the destructive path that they are headed down. And you give them this. And so there's a time where a firm rebuke is needed in the fellowship who is living in a disorderly manner. Now, I just ask you this. Someone come to your mind that you need to talk to, that you've passed over, that you said somebody else will talk to them? Maybe you need to talk to them. And maybe the Spirit of God, this is what we should be doing. We need to admonish the idol as a whole body, okay? That's the first condition. There's a second one. Keep going. Verse 14 It says there, you can see, and you better be careful too with these because it's important. He says, you've got to encourage the what? The faint-hearted. Now, this is a completely different person than somebody who's out of rank, if you will. You've got somebody here in the flock who is faint-hearted. Meet them every week. These are people who are worried. Are they out of step? No, I don't think so. Maybe they could be. They're just worried. Say, worried about what? I don't know, just worried about life. Worried about an upcoming surgery. Worried about future. Worried about finances. Worried about children. Worried about grandchildren. They are, here's the condition. Look at it, verse 14. It's the word of God. They are faint-hearted They're overwhelmed by life. One commentator said these people are timid. And I don't think he meant it negatively. He just said the the ideal of the Greek word is they're short of soul is the thought. They are fearful. They have what one called little souls. And they tend to become 
easily discouraged, easily despondent. They are like Eeyore, okay, who doesn't see things quite right. It's always kind of negative, and they're overwhelmed. They are often in despair in the face of adverse circumstances. It could be their own sin or even the difficulty of just living the Christian life. But they become faint-hearted. I mean, maybe that's you. Maybe you'd say, yeah, Pastor, that's, that's me. Sometimes I could just become overwhelmed by life. I think some people have a temperament like that. I think some people are prone almost to a melancholy nature. They're prone to become faint-hearted, okay? They are on the verge at times of giving up, if you will. In fact, it's interesting, that word for faint-hearted was used in the Old Testament in Isaiah 54, 6 of a rejected wife. And that carries the thought of it. Now, that's the condition. What do you do with these people? Now, now listen, you admonish those people, you could bury them. You could bury them. It's kind of frightening. You've you got to be wise, right? You could bury someone if they're not, they're not idle. They're not rebellious. They're just fearful. You say, what do you do with them? Look at the text, verse 14. It says there to what? Encourage the what? The faint-hearted. You encourage these people. You give them courage is what the word means. You give hope to them. You, if you, if you will, you kind of stimulate them to press on. You encourage them to endure. And you give them extra help to live the Christian life. There is just such a tenderness to that. So listen, body, we can't get people wrong and you better be praying to walk in the Spirit as you give this. I mean, this is Paul where he said, I was exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. Listen, body, you don't rebuke these people. You don't even exhort these people. You are to give them hope. That's what the Bible says. You are to give them encouragement. You got to read that right. Because when you read that wrong, it's bad. And I've read some wrong. I've read some wrong. I, I think of counseling. Oh, it's just, I, I don't even like to tell you. I was counseling this woman, okay? A dear friend, a dear, dear, dear friend of our family. And her husband was a multiple adulterer. Multiple. And, you know, when I get in that kind of situation, to me that's pretty you know, hey, here's what you need to do. And this is a dear friend. And so I'm in the Philippines preaching at a pastor's conference, probably getting all charged up around a lot of dudes, right? A lot of guys, you know, and take the kingdom, you know. And, uh, um, and I flew back and they said, hey, she wants to meet with you, Scott, and with another pastor and with another woman just regard. I said, ah, I don't, ah, Maybe I should, and I'm just getting back from the Philippines. And, and so I did it. The next day, I walked into a meeting with this woman. And I think I'm still in my Philippine commando mode. I might even have had black face paint on still, okay? And so I'm talking to her, and she's like, oh, Pastor, my husband did this. And I'm, I know what he does. I know him. 
And I'm not surprised. And I could have told her that eight months ago. Uh, you, you know, he's just, and this is a woman just burying her heart. And so I give her counsel. I give her instruction. I tell her what she needs to do. I wanted to be strong with her and, you know, kind of fortify her. Here's what you need to do. And I, and I walked out. How'd it go? I think it went great. I thought it went wonderful. So the next day, my wife comes up to me. Hey, Patty, or Scott, did you speak to so-and-so? Oh, yeah, Patty. Well, what'd you say to her? I said, I set her straight. I, I mean, I just told her what she needed, Patty. Scott, did you say this to her? I said, yeah, I did say that. But I said it a little firmer than that. Um, Scott, did you say this to her? I'm, I'm like, yeah, I said that. I'm losing my confidence right here. Um, <laughs> did you say this to her, Scott? Uh, yeah, I said that to her. Scott, did you say that to her? I said, yeah, I kind of did, you know. And, and without even my wife rebuking me, I thought, I mishandled one of God's sheep. And it just broke my heart. Because I thought, I came to encourage her, and I what? I discouraged her. So you, you wish that could be the problem, and it could be over, but that's not over at that point. I have to go track her down as the pastor and say, listen, I am so sorry for being a... That's an, is that an L to you or is it this way? I am so sorry for being a lame shepherd. And I apologize to her. Why? Because that woman didn't need my admonishment. That woman was faint-hearted. She was timid, and I wasn't wise. And I didn't handle it right. So it's really humbling. Um, you know, I, I, I am I'm the pastor, but I, I missed, I, I gave you the wrong diagnosis and the wrong prescription, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me for being lame, you know? And she said, oh, pastor, I forgive you. I know your heart. But I thought, listen, that's just me. You got somebody who's at a rank. You admonish them. You got somebody like, maybe like Eeyore, okay? Somebody who's discouraged. You know, all that woman needed me to do is just sit there and listen to her and, and cry with her. Maybe, right? Not fake. I'm thinking of Paul when he says, I was night and day with you for three years and I admonished you with my tears. And I come in commando form. I hurt her. Listen, people in the body are precious. The idle or the unruly need to be admonished. The faint-hearted need to be encouraged. That's not all. Look at the text. Third category. It says there, you are to help the what? The weak. Now, this condition described here, weak. You've got people in the body who are weak. Okay? They are spiritually, how do I say it? Frail. They're, they're spiritually weak. It's, it's, not, it's not even a bad thing, I guess. You see, Paul's just telling us how people are in the flock. You got some people who are idle. You got some people who are faint-hearted. And it's just the way it is. You got some people who are weak. And the, it could mean that they're physically weak. I grant that. But I think here... They're, they're spiritually weak. In fact, the word is used in Romans 14, 1, where it says, except the one, do you know this? Who is weak in the, what? 
in the faith. You ever meet people who are just weak in the faith? And it's, it's, they're just in the body. They're, they're, it's not so much timid, but it's linked to their faith. They're not strong in faith. They are weak in faith. In fact, Romans 14.1, remember, it's the comparison between the stronger and the weaker. And there's some people who are strong in their faith and there's some people who are weak in their faith. And I'm thinking of Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 where he said in 1 Corinthians 8, 7 that their conscience, eating meat offered to idol, is weak, it says, is being weak, that it is defiled. And so they have tender consciences. And for that moment at that time, they are not strong. They are weak. And we have people that are like that in the body of Christ. And now he tells us something very, very similar of what we're to do with that. Would you look at it? Again, it says, it says to encourage them. But let me just back up. They, they are weak. You say, well, why are they weak? Because they lack knowledge, maybe. Some people who are weak in Romans 14 and they, they, it, it defiles their conscience, they, they might lack some knowledge. They could just lack some courage to trust God. Maybe they're in a situation and they become weak and some are timid and some are weak in faith and some lack stability, some lack endurance. And I would just say to you, to my own heart, there is a place for the weak in the body of Christ. And the strong in faith have a duty towards them. You simply cannot abandon them. You cannot ignore them. They are God's redeemed people. Now, there's a command there. Look what you're to do with these people, verse 14. You are, you see it, to what? Pretty simple word. To help the weak. But you know what it means? Here's, here's even better. You say help them. Okay, what does help them mean? The word literally means to hold them up. That's what it means. You've got some in the flock. They're not out of rank. They're not out of step. They've not broke line, if you will. No, 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 no. These people are weak. You have a responsibility to them. You've got to, the thought is, hold them up, is the thought, Luke 16, 13. You've got to cleave to them. You need to give them very practical and spiritual help to them. You cannot abandon them. You cannot, at some points, even leave them alone. You need to sustain them, is the teaching of Scripture. You need to put your arms around the weak and hold them up. In fact, Paul used the word in Acts 20, 35, where he said, In everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must, Paul said, help the weak. Acts 20, 35, help the weak. So listen, the weak in our body should know that they are accepted. They should know that they can come to you. They should know that you'll be ever so sensitive to them. And in fact, look just one cross-reference, Romans, Romans 15. I love this. And he's still there in the context of the stronger, weaker brother. In fact, you can see it in uh, Romans 14.1 where it says, As for the one who is weak in faith. Uh, it says disregard him. No, no, it doesn't say that. 14.1, the one who is weak in the faith, do what? Welcome him. Welcome him. Welcome him. Boy, I just welcome him. I've seen churches ruined on schooling issues. 
homeschool, public school, Christian school. And I'd say this to you. I've seen people who are strong just run over people. You just got to be careful. You just got to be careful. It says here, the one who is weak in the faith, if you're strong in the faith, you need to welcome him. Look at Romans 15.1. It says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the what? The weak and not just please ourselves. In other words, you come alongside these people, okay? You give them spiritual and practical guidance. You give them advice. And you say, how do you do that? Just take interest in them. Take compassion on them. Maybe it's just your presence with them. Maybe it's just being with them. You know, it's hard for me to, I wrote this in my notes. It's just hard for me to even share because... I have a friend, he's a dear friend, and I knew this guy a long time. I go way back. His dad was, a, um, was an amazing boxer, knew who he was. The day I met him, his dad was famous. And um, this guy loved the Lord. For 15 years, he was a solid man, and then he had a period in his life where he, best way to say it is he just fell into sin, okay? He just... He, he was being dumb. He just fell into sin with a, a woman and, and went against everything that he knew was right, everything that he modeled. And when the sin came out, man, it just came double blow back on him, you know? I mean, if you cover your sin, okay? If you cover it, it's exposed. When people find out, man, you get double hammer on that one. You know what I mean? If you come and you say, I'm, I'm experiencing sin and I'm in sin, will you help me? It's easier to be compassionate. This guy was hiding. This guy was covering. This guy's living in fornication with this woman all the while he's at this Bible study leading it. So when this thing comes out, man, he, man the mallet just came down on this guy. Now listen, he repented of it, okay? Honestly, he repented of it. And and he, he was sorry. He apologized. He wept. He, I'd say to you, body, he lost everything. Everything that he had built, everything, his reputation. I mean, but watch this. He did repent of it. And it was four months down the road that when I caught up with him, listen, me to you, he, he wasn't sure if he should live anymore. Okay? He, 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 he was that, you get what I'm saying. Maybe I'll just leave it right there. He wasn't sure if he should still go on. This is my friend, and I know this guy. I know this guy's pattern for 15 years. Then he gets caught in this for five months, and it's just, but I knew him, and I just said, brother, I love you, and, and um, you've repented. Let's get up now. Let's get up. Let's move forward. And it was right about that time that a pastor said to him, you are the worst moral failure we've had at this church in the last 15 years. Now listen, you could crush a guy with that. You say, well, gosh, Scott, the guy was in sin. No, he wasn't. It was six months ago. Six months ago. This guy was weak. He needed somebody to prop him up. He didn't need somebody to throw the dart at him, right? I mean, to the point where he was so discouraged, he didn't even know if he should go on. Another guy came up to him and said, hey, 
you, this might sound funny to some of you, being from the Central Valley. They said, you don't need to wear suits anymore. I go, he didn't say that to you. Yes, he said that to me. In other words, the leaders told him, you don't need to wear a suit anymore because you're no longer a what? A leader. You, you, you could crush a guy with that stuff. So when I get to him, man, I'm looking at a guy that's weak. He didn't need to be exhorted anymore. He didn't need to be admonished. He needed to be loved, right? He needed to let him know that the Lord forgave you for your sins six months ago. Let's get up. Let's move on. Obviously, I'm looking at a guy whose entire life was ripped open. In other words, what some of these leaders were saying is you are a loser. You're a loser. I thought, pastors say that kind of stuff to people. Man, you better be careful the way you handle God's sheep, right? You better just be so tender. Now, now you say tender, well, Scott, that guy was in sin. No, he wasn't. You understand what I'm saying? He was in sin. He experienced the fallout from his own sin. I get that. But this guy was just being crushed. Remember in Corinthians, when Paul had to tell the Corinthians, he says, by now you should have forgiven the brother, right? By now, sufficient is the time. After the guy was in an incestuous relationship, he said, sufficient now is the time. You need to forgive that brother and move on. I just realized you can crush someone with a comment like that over a dad who says to a son, you'll never amount to anything. Really? You say that kind of stuff? Listen, be careful. Be careful. The idle, the unruly, they need to be checked, okay? The faint-hearted, they need to be encouraged. The weak, they need to be comforted and encouraged. Make a proper diagnosis. You say, well, Scott, I, I'd love to do that. How I do You walk in the Spirit. You listen more than you talk. You listen. But if, if I wish he was kind of done, but you know he's not done. There's one more little phrase. I, I kind of wish he was because... This is the one you got to take home. He says, help the weak. And then he says, be patient, what? With them all. Or in the NASB, be patient with everyone. I'm like, oh, why do you have to say that? What? You know what that word means, patient? It's the word macrothumia. And whenever you see patience, it's not talking about a circumstance. The Bible tells you to endure a circumstance. That's another word. This is patience. Patience always has to do with people and something that's micro is what small okay and and the thought of this word here is it's macro thumia it means that you with others in the body of christ need to not have a short fuse but have a what a very very long fuse it means that as you're dealing with people you just got to be patient with them all You can't have a short fuse. You can't have the thought would be a quick temper. You can't, you ever hear that expression? Man, that dude's got a short, what? Fuse. I mean, we know what that means. Man, that guy blew his, what? Stack. Not biblically. You're walking in the spirit. You're you're handling different people. But he gives this summary exhortation is what it is that you need to be patient with everyone. Boy, that, you know what? You could hurt the body of Christ by having an unforgiving spirit towards people. You could create dissension in the body of Christ by not forgiving them and being patient with them. After all, you know that patience is a fruit of the spirit, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, what? 
Patience. What does patience mean? It means you have a very long fuse. You don't become irritable. You don't become angry. You remember in the love chapter in 1 Corinthians 13, right? What does it begin with? Love is what? Patient. It has a long fuse. In other words, you're going to be dealing with people and they're going to be doing things and saying things and you might want to respond and you just have to, Lord, help me. Help me with everyone. Oh, Lord, I don't want to, I don't want to not obey, admonish the idle or the unruly, but help me be patient. How patient was Jesus with his disciples? Oh, ye of little what? Faith. He had so much patience with them. And then we turn around and we're so impatient with people sometimes. We treat people different than the way the Lord treats us, right? The Lord is so patient with us. And then we turn around and I'm thinking of the, the scripture in 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently, enduring evil. So even in the ministry, if people say things about you, you've got to still demonstrate patience. So listen, maybe there's someone you need to go to today, or maybe God's asking you to be patient with someone. It's not necessarily that they're idle. We admonish them, but even when you admonish, you have to still be patient. I remember one time early in my staff years with John MacArthur, there was a pastor who had done something um, that just was wrong. They had to kind of remove him, you know? And um, I, th- I was thinking to myself in my youthful days, yeah, they should remove that guy, you know? And so it got to the time where they had to say it on Sunday, we have no longer are employing so-and-so. Um, and so John MacArthur had to say that, you know? And the service came, and nothing was said, and then he's preaching, and nothing was said. Then he said, amen, and I'm like, whoa, he's not going to say it, you know? He's not going to say it. Then he, he says it. He says very calmly. So sad that we have to inform you. The guy, the, past, the staff pastor did do something that was just wrong, and it wasn't a one-time thing. It was a moral thing. So, and I, I just thought, wow, he was so light. That's what I thought. I'm, t- I'm telling you, you, you might think, hey, John MacArthur's a hammer. Uh, no, no. I, go, I went into his office that day, and I took my buddy with me, Rick Holland, because I feel like Rick and I are like the sons of thunder. And so it was the next day. So this was Sunday. So Monday we go into his office. John, John, come on in, boys. Come on in, you know. He's like our dad in the faith. John, me and Rick, sons of thunder, we're here to inform you that you handled that situation wrong yesterday. I mean, it might not have come off like that. We're like, we don't get that. We don't get that. You should have filleted that guy. You should have just brought the grocery list out and even pounded the pulpit. I mean, maybe that's, that's what I thought. And, and so our question to him was, why, why didn't you do that? Well, I mean, you got it. You, you covered it. And he just said, I'll never forget what he said. He said, because I want to preserve him for down the road. See, could have buried him all together forever. But there was something in his heart that wanted to preserve him. So I kind of walked out of the office that day. You jerk, Scott. You, you, you jerk. You, and, and I just, I learned something from his tenderness, from his tenderness with people. And I think when I think of that, be patient with everyone. You've got to have a very, very long 
refuse. Listen, if our body employs this, don't you think we'll be ministering to one another? I promise you, if we do this, just even encouragement-wise, even help the weak, the faint-hearted, if we need... I had a brother call me on Saturday from our church and told me something that's going on with the guy in our church, and I just thought, thank you for telling me, but you handled that situation perfectly. I mean, I'm just going to encourage you that you told that brother the right thing. And I was so glad that our bodies minister in this way. Listen, if we employ this and we're walking in the spirit, we're going to have this body grow and we'll have the one another's put into practice. But pray that God gives us wisdom. That's why we started that ABF class on biblical counseling. We want to help you do this. Amen.